You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, all my Utah friends and family. And thank you for making Locked On Utes your first listen every day. Despite the fact that I sound like Marge shot after a bender, thank you so much to our good friend Swap Mary. Uh, I'm trying to get episodes up as much as possible right now um, to save my vocal cords, but I decided a better way to do that is to bring a friend along. So I brought along one of my favorite friends, and that means it's Sammy! Air horn noises, air horn noises. Thank you for having me back. Sammy, this has been, yeah, this has been a long time coming. Uh, We actually, had I had better hindsight for the fact that my voice was not going to survive, we probably should have just recorded our conversation after the Rose Bowl because that was pretty pretty awesome, um, even though we lost. And uh, so maybe let's just start off talking about that. What do you think of the Rose Bowl? It was one of the best experiences I've ever had sporting experiences of my entire life. The venue is amazing. I I have a bucket list of stadiums that I want to go to, and the Rose Bowl was up there for multiple reasons. I wanted to go to the Rose Bowl, like, like the actual stadium, because of its historical significance, but then I wanted to go to the Rose Bowl, like the game. And so to be able to cross both things off my bucket list was just chef's kiss. Amazing. I loved it. You said the venue was amazing. What about it is amazing? Because let's, uh, for the people who have never been there before, or if you have been there for like a Utah-UCLA game and you're like, uh, no, it's kind of a dump, that's not entirely inaccurate, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not like the best. It's not like like the by far the nicest stadiums I've ever been to are like Husky Stadium up in Seattle and Levi Stadium. Like those are the two nicest venues I've ever been to, but the Rose Bowl, I think for me, why I enjoyed it is because of that historical significance. Like I am a huge soccer fan. So to know what happened in the Olympics there with the women's national team, 1984. Just, yeah. Before Brandy I was born, before I was born, like just <laughs> oh, great. Boy, <laughs> You know this. <laughs> yeah. I just, I sometimes I, look, I feel young at heart. I just forget that I'm old on paper. Okay. <laughs> well, you're always young to me, Brian, but I I just I yes there were some things that I was like this could be fixed like my family was three rows up from the top of like the upper bowl like towards the Ohio State end zone um on the Utah side though those stairs were ginormous I was like I felt like I have short legs but I felt like I was taking like six steps every time I went up to climb one I was like what the heck? And I had to climb all the way up to the top and I did not leave my seat that entire game. I got very dehydrated because I refused to drink water because I didn't want to walk down the stairs to go to the bathroom and deal with the enormous lines I saw that were happening on Twitter. So I was like, whatever. But I think the like the views were nice. My mom would just not stop talking about the houses that were on the top of the mountain that could like look into the stadium. She was like, I want to live in one of those. I was like, okay, get a couple million dollars, Michelle. And then we can talk about it. (laughs) But I think it was, it was really fun. Honestly, like I got this, like the, the, the stereotypical photo in front of like the Rose Bowl logo and the one in like 
when it's like lit up at night. It was just, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, it was, it was a great time. Um, uh, and you know, it's, there's an aura to the place. And I, I, the, the kind of correlation that I made is that going to the Rose Bowl is like going to Mecca. If you're a Muslim, it's like going to Jerusalem. If you're a Christian, you know, whatever, whatever your source of spirituality is, that's the Rose Bowl for college football fans. I think it's, it's a multitude of things. Once the surroundings is beautiful, uh, two, I think the history of the place, you know, I, I I don't know scientific very well, but there has to be something there, you know, you know, deep down in the sciences that like, you know, those those deep long hallways, you know, have seen a lot. Um, that being said, I think the game it, it deserves some attention as well from us. Um, you had a unique experience, and I feel like you get the worst like mag fan magnets that that sit behind you. Uh, I had my uncle sitting next to me, and so that was fine because um, he's family, and I can't yell at him. So uh, even if he is like super wrong, but um, other than the fans like being disappointed in the team, uh, what what did you think of the game and the outcome and everything like that? Honestly, I I've said this all like the entire weekend after, and even like the like week after when I was talking to people about it, I was like, we went blow for blow with Ohio State, who was a potential playoff team, and we only lost by three. And given the circumstances of like who was playing, who wasn't playing, I was really proud of this team more than anything. I think it was a fantastic game. Um, it's probably going to go down as one of my favorite games I've ever watched as a Utah, like watched of Utah. It's It was so... It was all of their culmination of hard work over the last two, three, 10 years of being in the Pac-12 finally coming to fruition. I mean, it does, it did sting a little bit to not be able to come home with the trophy and to say we're Rose Bowl champs, but given the hand that Utah was dealt on, like starting late 2020, to see where they're at now was just magnificent. And it was more, it was better than I could have ever imagined. Um, I, I had a good time. You know, my mom has this tradition where we have candy that she like brings into like Rice Eccles or whatever stadium we're in. And she calls it touchdown candy. It started as a tradition with my little brother. And there was a lot of touchdown candy passed out throughout that game. It's only when Utah scores, but it was, it was fun. Um, and I didn't feel like the pressure was on for the team. Cause you know, there's those games where you're like, they need to like come out and like, play with their hair like their heads on fire but this game to me at least felt like we've already made it like if we bring home the trophy that's great that's fine and dandy and good for us and like we're gonna celebrate it but at the same time if we lose at least we made it to the rose bowl finally after all of these years of trying and that seemed to be the pro oh that was loud that seemed to be the prevailing thought i think for most of the fans uh at at the same time you all everybody wants to win i think when cam rising went down the 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 feeling of like oh no can we really do this uh finally creeped in yeah it it did and uh then all of a sudden bryson barnes kind of brought it back for a second and then it dissipated really quickly um because that defense was just tired and uh Mm -hmm. you know i think there's a lot of things that we can talk about in terms of should utah have started mckay bernard there i think it was the right move just 
simply from like turning Makai into a legend. Oh, uh, and also so props props to him for turning uh, you know all the the internet stuff and everything like that into a really big moment uh, and becoming kind of an icon in college football. I'm a running back, uh, you know, and and I think the hard part about it is that it, in the fans' mind, there's always that next move. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's always the next next person up, the next player. Uh, what hasn't been talked about, and, and I'm going to put some of the blame on Utah and their coaching staff. They never tell us about season ending injuries. So you lost your starter, the best corner cover corner on the team in JT Broaden in game number one. Game one or game two? Game two. two. It was two. Yeah, game two. We got, we got the iconic throw-up moment in game mm-hmm. one. That's right. Yeah. So maybe a, a precursor of things <laughs> to come. Hard to say. Um, <laughs> second, uh, then you lost Fabian Marks to a broken ankle. We think uh, maybe that's speculative. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sammy's giving me a look like we did. Uh, I, I'm just guessing because he j- he limped off the field with his, his foot up and he was in a cast. So uh, like that's we probably, assume it's a, we assume it's a leg injury. Yeah, it's lower a, leg, some, lower leg, lower leg, lower yeah, leg. He's out We're with not... the lower leg. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Zamaya Vaughn hurts something on the sideline against Oregon. So now you're down your third quarter. The other part of it too, and and this is the hard thing to to really talk about is is. You know, your roster was already in flux because you lost one player with the passing of Aaron Lowe, you know, and, and it's really hard to talk about that from a football's perspective still to this day. And, it, and it's always going to make me sad. Um, the other part of it, too, is like Drew Rawls, who has kind of been in the mix a little bit there at, at multiple positions, also, I think, was lost for the season at some point in time. So really, Utah was down almost five players in that position group in one way or another. They were kind of like at their wits end. So it's either you throw a true freshman out there who is new to football entirely at, at this level, likely doesn't have the same mental uh, tenacity or toughness that a Makai Bernard does, or you put Makai out there and, and let him let him do his thing. And, I, and look, everybody's going to say he played terribly. I, he didn't play that bad. He you know, he, he, he got He got cooked on a couple plays. There's no doubt about it. Uh Leading tackler on the team by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were going right at him, but that still should count for something. Like he had more tackles than Deloitte or even Clark. And also for him to be thrown into that position to go up against, play corner against potentially a first round draft pick wide receiver was a huge task. And I felt from the moment we went into that game that we were going to have our hands full with the pass game, whether or not Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave played. Like if those two opted out, I was like, Hey, we still have Jackson that we're going to have to deal with. And he's probably the best out of the three. And when they opted out, I said, okay, well, we're back to square one, but given the situation that Makai was put in, I think he did very well. Um, People sitting around me did not think so, but that is a topic for later. Um, but he played really, he played good for given what he has. And like, I think that this is something that I've been pondering and thinking about. Does this, does this mean Utah should hit the portal and try and get a corner out of the portal just to add that extra depth? Or do you just hope that everyone, that you don't get put in this position again and everyone stays healthy? Well, that's the thing is that you've got Elijah Lloyd, you've got Kenzo Lawler, you've got Kane Savage, all who have a spring ball 
now under their belts and in a full off season to get in the weight lifting and, and conditioning program. Uh, and, and likely if there are other players out there on the roster, you know, uh, Lecrae Pleasant Johnson, who are still physically not ready, uh, they're probably getting getting told as much and say and being told like, hey, you know, either you gain the weight or else we're moving on. Uh, I think when you have four corners on the roster though that have seen starting time, it's really hard to go in the portal and get somebody that can come in and replace that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing is it's just this the secondary is so young and they've been through a lot that. I just want to see how they would look with a full season where everyone's healthy. Because Clark is Clark is starting to become one of the best corners in the conference. And I just want to see how a tandem of him and JT works together for a full season. Because I don't count that COVID season because it was shortened. It was all over the place. They were inconsistent. No one had played anyone. And it was just a mess. With them having their full, first full season... I think that it's going to be, it's going to be a very, a very, a much stronger secondary. I think next year, you know, you have some question marks with the safety position now, but overall, you know, I think they're in a good spot. Yeah, and I, I think they are going to look in the portal for some safety help for sure, and 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 try and find uh, whatever they can to shore up the defense because I think that's that's really where they're at is is as this team progresses and, and moves forward into where they are now the favorite of uh, the Pac-12, I think, uh, along with Oregon, uh, to make it to the college football playoff, they're kind of back to where they were last year where they need to go find insurance policies. It's another Brandon McKinney that you need to go out and get. Uh, you know, if you can get a JUCO transfer, maybe that's something you go look into. And so – uh, there's a couple guys coming in on visits that we can talk about, you know, later on. But um, I think overall, it, it was a really great experience, a really fun game to watch. Uh, it's something that I can break down for a long time because I still think that Utah was four or five plays away from from really breaking this one open and, and winning mm-hmm. this game. And a lot of those plays, in my mind, came on offense. Uh, yep. You know, as I watched the game, C.J. Stroud was putting balls on dimes, and and there were a couple plays there where number one, it wasn't Makai that got burned. Uh, number two. There's not a lot that any defender could have done, even an NFL level one. I mean, there was a play where Clark was draped all over the guy and he still caught a touchdown. So yep. it's just there's all this kind of stuff that factors into it. And at the end of the day, I, I think the magical season didn't end how we wanted it to, but it was still magical and it was a great yeah. time. And 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 you know, how can you not be excited going forward? It's and especially looking at you open the season at Florida next year, which is going to be like you don't know what Florida's gonna look like. I get it, but I think Utah has the potential to make a deep run next year. And it's something that I'm really looking forward to because a majority of this team now has tasted success. And while they didn't come like finish the job, like finish the job is like subjective because their goal was to get to the Rose bowl and their goal was to win the pac 12. And they did both of those things this year. But this is something I've always said about Utah being in the pac 12 is they needed to adapt and evolve as the seasons went on and as their time in the Pac-12 went on. So, like, their first goal when they joined the Pac-12 was getting to the conference championship game. And once they got to that conference championship game, it took them three tries to adapt and evolve and have the talent level to win that game. And then after that, it was to get to the Rose Bowl. And they did that this year, which means the next logical step is for them to either 
win the Rose Bowl or make it to the college football playoffs. And if it's they make it to the playoffs, then you have two more goals you can go with. You have win the pack, you have win the conference, you win your first round, and then you go and play another game and you win the win it all, or you lose in the first round and you have to come back and you have to not start over per se, but your next goal is to win that first game in the playoffs and make it to the championship game. It's we're not in Alabama who every year we're going to be an odds on favorite to win the national championship. But I think we're getting to the point now where it's getting more realistic and it's getting more confident to at least hope for a spot in the South, a a spot in the Pac-12 championship game or a spot in the Rose Bowl or a spot in a premier bowl game because Utah is finally being able to recruit at the level that the Pac-12 plays at. They're able to take that talent and put it out on the field and it, produce results and you know utah's in a really good spot and i honestly the futures i i'm more excited about next season than i am about probably anything else right now actually there's one thing i'm a little bit more excited about but we'll talk about that later Mm, yeah i know exactly what that is and uh that's a perfect uh man sammy you're getting really good at this uh that was a perfect little uh segue uh into the next part about what we want to talk about here um, and that's mainly that people need to get out there and uh, get the uh, incredible app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about. That's called GetUpside. Uh, listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas. Every time they fill up, just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code SCORE and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. Sammy, would you like an extra two to 300 bucks a month? Yes. Yes, so would I. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime you want to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon or other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first bank, uh, first tank. Uh, that's promo code SCORE for GetUpside. And, uh, you know, we're coming back um, from uh, talking about uh, sponsors and everything like that. I should probably note that today's show is sponsored by Sonos. Uh, Experience the game like never before with Sonos Arc, the premium smart soundbar for TV, movies, music, gaming, and more. Visit Sonos.com to learn more. Sammy, are you the type that has to have, like, the dope set up when you're watching the game? Um, Yeah, my dad has, like, a... A 60 70 inch TV with surround sound and it's like a like a 4k TV so yes yeah so so the more a family is is doing it big then for sure um we want to thank everybody for doing the big by making locked on youth their first listen every single day as we are free and available on multiple platforms i would say every platform if there's a platform out there that we are not available on that you want to see us on let us know uh i promise we'll get back to youtube at some point in time um i'm I'm just starting to get to the point to where i can record daily that being said there was big news that broke uh 
in the Twitterverse, should we say a Twitterverse what, in the world? I don't know. In like the athletic atmosphere, you know? I don't know. Is it Twitter? Maybe Twitter, but like it also went online. It was just posted on the Utah like website. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but bottom line, Sione Puha stepping away from the University of Utah and uh, retiring, in essence, from coaching. Surprised by this move, Sammy? Yes. Um, he's young. He was a younger coach, which kind of surprised me. I was like, if anyone I was expecting to retire, he was towards the bottom of the list. But, you know, like, we don't, like, is it, like, what's his reasoning? Like, we don't know. It could be, like, he wants to spend more time with his family or he has, like, his mental health is deteriorating or his health is deteriorating or someone in his family is going through something like that. So I'm sad to see him go. He's been a really good coach for the last three years that we've had him, but he's got to do what's best for himself right now. And if that's stepping away from football, then that's stepping away from football. And I just wish him the best and hope he's like doing good. That That is the big thing is that you want to make sure that these guys are all mentally staying with it. But I think the job has become that kind of taxing. Number one, number two, he made a killing in the NFL. He played for eight years, got two contracts. He got plenty of money, um, you know, as yeah. Dame Miller likes to say. So this was never about the money thing. Uh, I think what's also great about uh, that that job and, and that lifestyle is that there are ways to still stay invested and, and be a part of things and make money as a football influencer, for lack of a better term, that aren't college coaching. And I'm going to tell you, the recruiting in that business are going to kill more coaches uh, than people realize. I think that's part of the reason why Kyle McDonald left. It's a lot easier to recruit to USC than it is to Utah. That's just yep. the bottom line. Yeah. And so if you're going to last in this business and, and make money and be successful and climb that ladder, you've got to find a way to take advantage of those uh, recruiting advantages. And so now he won't have to uh, – he can recruit smarter, not harder. Let's put it that way. Because you're always going to have a stigma against you when you're recruiting for Utah. No matter how many trophies you win or how many first-round draft picks you have, you're always going to have that stigma of like, oh, it's just Utah. And, like, the stigma that's around the state as well, not just the university, um, which it sucks. And I it, it, I wish it would go away. But at the same time, that's just the, that's just the name of the game. And, you know, coaches need to learn to adapt to the changing tides, um, you know, with the name, image and likeness bill. That's something that some coaches have been very adamant to accept. Um, I'm looking at you, Dabo Sweeney, saying I'd rather quit then have my players get paid or something along the lines is what he said. Um, you need to adapt. It's just like every other industry. You need to roll with the punches and whatever comes your way, comes your way. And you need to just work with it. And recruiting is always going to be hard, but for some schools, it's going to be harder. And whoever comes in from Utah needs to quickly, both is both is now the potential defensive defensive tackles coach um or if they shift it to go for a special teams coordinator and just re-coordinate the defense and also the running backs coach whoever the running back coaches they need to come in hit the ground running not only with their players that are currently in the program but the guys that they're trying to get into the program on the recruiting trail because you can't take a day off in recruiting because if you take the day off someone else is going to swoop in and take the kid from you and that's the biggest problem is it's it is such a there is such a minimal error 
in, in recruiting and, and in the business altogether. And it that gets taxing. Uh, these are hyper competitive people. You know, I thought it was interesting that you pointed out Dabo Swinney because we did see our uh, good friend Nick Saban, who so many people dislike, and I understand it. Like I'm not I'm not trying to say uh, Saban isn't worthy of your dislike. Nick Saban like lover. Yeah. Well, you know what. Um, I've been called worse. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will say about uh, Nick Nick Saban is is he got it. You know, like he said last night, that he was very. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, effusive in talking about how much he appreciated Bryce Young and. Uh, uh, was it Damian Williams? No, uh, Will Anderson. Yeah. Oh, Will Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 talking about how much they've done for the program and how much positive reinforcement he was giving there publicly that's that's important cuz he's doing And that's with something some young you kids. don't and that's something you don't see from Saban that often. No, very 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 rarely, but he's making a very point a poignant point and, and a point of emphasis to be more about that. And so I think you're seeing look, Saban has always been at the head of the times and and I think people I get why people hate him. He is very hateable and and success is very hateable too. Uh nobody likes it when the villain wins. Um, oh, yeah, that's why everyone was rejoicing last night when Georgia won. Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, I, I think um, we're kind of rambling a little bit. I want to get back a little bit to what you touched on is is how Utah fills this position. I think the big thing is it doesn't matter what position the coach is coaching at as much as it is that you need to go out and you need to replace a Kyle McDonald-type recruiter and you need to replace a, a, a coach that has good, strong local ties that can continue to keep the poly pipeline and everything else going up at the University of Utah. Now, is there a coach on staff like uh, Tavita Finau who could step in and do that? Maybe Trevor Riley comes back? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think fans love the idea of bringing in somebody who's, you know, a, a hero, so to speak. Um, but th- th- it's it's not an you know it's not unheard of to see guys shuffled around or to see somebody become a co uh, coach. You know, I, I mean, Utah did that previously with with the defensive line. Um, I've seen people say, "Well, I hope it's not Gary Anderson." I don't think anybody has to worry about that. This is we're past the Gary Anderson phase. Wit would be crazy. Wit would be crazy, and I even think Harlan might step in and be like, "No, why would you do that?" I just think Gary's Gary's shelf life to be a position coach in a P five is kind of dissipated, um, and that happens. And it's you know, look, my shelf life is going to expire at some point in two, uh, just like the Milk Sisters. Um, but it does sound like, you know, uh, I think we're going to see some movement on at least one open position as, as we did talk about Kyle McDonald living, uh, leaving. And, and I think the name out there for everybody that, that is, um, I think the obvious candidate is Quinton Ganther. Uh, there's a couple other out there that like, I'll throw some under the radar names, Anthony white. He's the head coach at, uh, uh, Santa Ana college in, in, Southern California. He would be an option, former player at Utah, played under Ron McBride. He's uh, shown a a real propensity for winning. I think he's a younger guy. He'd be a great recruiter. He's done really well at Santa Ana. So that's that's an option that you could throw out there as well. Uh, Robert Conley is the running backs coach at Weber State. He's another guy that you could throw out there uh, that's in the coaching ranks too uh, with some recruiting ties. And, And Big Bob, not so big Bob anymore because he's lost a ton of weight. Um, you know, a lot of ties down there in Texas. And then there's also the wild cards that maybe you've never thought of before. 
Um, Sammy, if you're Kyle Whittingham, is Quinton Ganther your number one choice? I love Quinton Ganther, so yes. Um, you know, because he's already he's he's already going to be out of a job as it is probably with the Jaguars probably going to clean house. Um, and so I think I I think it's a it's a safe bet for right now. But the thing is, is like I just want to I just want to know how like how he is as a recruiter because. That's the biggest thing. Like you can coach running backs all you want, or you can coach whatever position you have all you as well as you want. But recruiting is the name of the game right now. And if uh, if he can't recruit, I don't think he will last long. Yeah, and that's here's the thing. I think there are different types of recruiters, right? I think Kyle McDonald. They call him Recruiting 101 for a reason because he was an elite, high-level recruiter. I think it's a lot of the reason why Utah landed a ton of the guys that he did. I don't think that Quinton Ganther is that type of recruiter. He's not a grinder. He's not going to be on the Xbox and PS1 or what is it, PS5 now? PS, oh boy. Yeah, PS5. PS20, whatever it is. Uh, I'm not, not a gamer. Uh, sorry, AJ. Um, I'll, I'll say I'm a console uh, PC guy or whatever. Um but, uh, you know, I, I think Quinton's an OG recruiter. You know, he uses relationships and ties and, and finds guys and, and, and can, can kind of talk a, a little bit like, you know, the way that Shaq and, and, and all those guys talk on uh, inside the NBA to Draymond. Like, like he can kind of talk like that. Like, yeah. listen, man, I've been there. I know it, right? Uh, so I think if you bring in Quinton, like he can still get key running back recruits, but you bring up a good point that Utah's got to find another ace quality high level recruiter. I think Chad Bumfus has made a huge impact in a short amount of time, but you've got to get one more that can take the lead on some of those high end four star recruits. Otherwise you're going to miss out on the Jalen Glovers, the, the, the Nate Johnsons and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not careful. And I honestly think like this goes back to the Puha situation. I think, Personally, in my opinion, what I think should be done, and I know most a lot of people have brought this up on Twitter, is you shift Powell to be just defensive line, just whole line coach, and then you bring in someone to specialty be your special teams coordinator or special teams coach who is mainly focused on recruiting. Because you can come up with blocking schemes for punt returns. You, but you, what you really need is someone, a heavy hitter on that recruiting trail. So if you can find someone who's younger, who is re- like, who will do what Kyle McDonald did and be that hip, A-list, whatever recruiter, I think that puts Utah in a good position. And then once you get your footings, you then you switch it around and maybe you move Powell back to ends and you find a new defensive line coach or even if someone leaves – you promote that special teams coordinator to like some or that special teams coach to something else. But that's personally, that's what I think should happen. But then again, I'm not a coach. So and I'm not Kyle Whittingham. So my say means like kind of nothing. Well, and then that look, I mean, I don't think anybody's expecting you to speak for Kyle Whittingham, but I'll tell you what, if I'm asking somebody to speak for me, I'm definitely choosing Sammy because we're on the exact same page. Like, Everything you said is the truth. They they just need to get. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna not even bother to repeat it because we need to save the chords. But um, you know, the other part of it too that I want to talk about just real quick before we wrap this segment up is this a good thing or a bad thing that coaches are leaving the program? 
I think it's a good thing because it shows that your program's building a national brand and national prominence and that your your coaches are succeeding because as much as it sucks to see coaches leave, you just want to see them progress and become better. And while some people might think that Kyle McDonald going to USC for the same position is like a lateral move, it's it's really not because he could become the running backs coach. And then if something happens at like a D like a, like a G five or even like a D two school, he can become OC and then from OC, he can be promoted to head coach. It's a building block situation. And there's a reason that Nick Saban has a huge coaching tree. It's because all of his coaches have succeeded and that's great for the program. It builds brand because then you're like, Oh, well, Utah's really good at uh, producing running backs and also running back coaches or whatever. So I think, I honestly think it's a good thing. As much as I hate to see coaches go, it's good. Yeah. And, and the other part of it too is uh, this is a tough one to talk about, right? Because you haven't seen a big exodus from the University of Utah for the most part, you know, I, but there were a few coaches that were likely on the block if things didn't pan out this season, anyways. Cough, cough. I, I think everybody knows the name I'm thinking of is Jim Harding, which, look, I, I know why people said it. I thought it was dumb at the time. I couldn't say it like that, but I think he's proven, you know, those of us who believed in Jim to, you know, that at least somewhat cognizant of what we were thinking of, right? Didn't he win um, a coaching award, too, for this yeah. season? <laughs> well, just the football scoop offensive line coach of the year. Uh, but what do they know? They're only, like, the premier uh, publication when it comes to coaching news. Um, but here's the thing about coaching. Every year, it can be up and down. And so Jim could come back next year and have the worst year of his career, and it would be justified. And that's the thing that sucks about it. And that's why I think it's okay to have these guys cycle through. Number one. Number two... Like, you've worked for tough bosses before. It's really hard, right? And eventually you get to the point where you're just like, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. And, like, Kyle Whittingham's great, but he's also really tough to work for. There's, in my mind, you're not, like, I, I wish you could say that you're, that you're going to have, like, a perfect job experience someplace where it's all butterflies and rainbows. But most times that's not the case. And as like happy as everyone looks on the hill, like in photos and stuff like that, there's stuff that's going on behind closed doors that we don't know about, that we haven't heard about, that we haven't seen, like seen. There's that it could have been, it could have been absolute hell for Kyle McDonald to be working for Whittingham. It could have been, but he put on a he put on a brave face and he coached his gut out with these running backs and he recruited like hell on the recruiting trail, but like. What we see as a general public is vastly different than what goes on behind closed doors. 100%, 100%. And I think that, you know, we try to stay informed. I think that's why people listen to us here on Locked on Youths. We try to know what's going on behind the scenes as much as possible. Uh, but at the end of the day, you really just don't know what's going on inside a coach's head or why they want to make a move. Um so I think, you know, movement's not always the worst thing. You know, we, we're seeing it all the time. Sometimes you just need a fresh surrounding. And so I don't expect to see any more moves necessarily. That doesn't mean that something's not possible. It also doesn't mean that maybe somebody doesn't get reassigned at one point in time or moved around. Uh, it would be really hard, I think, to justify moving like a Freddie Whittingham somewhere after he's done so well with the tight ends. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but you know, you don't break up the dream team, Brian. Yeah. You know, and I think the one that you can probably count on not doing anything is, is Andy Ludwig, unless, you know, he out of nowhere retires, but we, that would be, you know, Andy's kind of like a robot. I just, unless he needs to go get the oils changed, like I will go back to work and beep, boop, beep, boop. Call screenplay on third. Coordinate offense for much success. Thank you. And I say that knowing that, like, I've had really good conversations with Coach Ludd and have a huge deal of respect, but, like, he's just, he's a machine, you know, and he's been doing it for so long that a lot of it is just natural. Oh, yeah. And, like, there's some coaches that you would, you would think want, like, head coaching aspirations. And Ludd is one that I have never, ever gotten that, like, vibe from. Like, Scally gives me big, like, I want to be a head coach someday vibes. Whereas, Ludd, I feel like, is very content being a coordinator because he doesn't have to control everybody. He just has to control his offense and his offensive coaches. He's not overlooking, making sure that the special teams unit knows how to punt the ball. Like, he's content, and I think he's he's going to ride out the rest of his career as an offensive coordinator at Utah, and it's going to be... Roses on roses on roses. I think. Yeah, nobody's gonna complain, complain about Andy Ludwig until they start losing games. Uh, but that happens Which, no matter what. Side note: I had someone tell me second, third week of this season that Andy Ludwig needed to be fired, and I said, "Por qué?" <laughs> yeah, maybe we're maybe we're hitting the trigger button on some of that stuff a little too soon. So you would have you would have fired half the coaching staff that just led Utah to a Rose Bowl berth and uh, Pac-12 championship. Not a good bet. Let's put it that way. It's not a good bet. Yeah, that's not good. If you've gone to betonline.ag and and thrown that down, your money would lost. Gone. Gone. Fairy dust. But the good news is that BetOnline wants to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue their march to the playoffs and beyond. Uh, Sammy, do you have a favorite in the NFL playoffs? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What a surprise. My team. With the Rams coming in very, very close second. Okay, yeah. It's, it's Terrell Burgess, former Ute on the Rams. I can get Matt behind Gay. that one. Pro bowler, Matt Gay. Gay is good. And uh, that's another reason why Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. You can place more bets, props, whatever it is that you want there than anywhere else. And there's a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up uh, on today. So just go to that website and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code locked on. What's that promo code, Sammy? Locked on. Nailed it. So from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, all the way up to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Last segment here on the Locked On Youth Podcast, an extra long podcast because it's Brian and Sammy and we can't shut up. So I'm going to actually do something that I should have done probably two segments ago. Back off and let Sammy talk about gymnastics. Sammy, what happened over the weekend? Best of Utah. (laughs) That was loud. That was very loud. Sorry, headphone users. Um, They... uh, 
it was the best of Utah meet, which, you know, it shouldn't be called the best of Utah. It should be called like the uh, second place to Utah meet because every single year, Utah just steamrolls BYU, Utah State, and Southern Utah. It's always a place, it's always a race for who can get second. Um, Utah brought home their third Copper Cup. Um, this is the third year this has happened, their third Copper Cup. Um, the best of Utah, if I remember correctly, is only a four-year deal. So next year, fingers crossed, will be the last year I have to deal with the crappy Wi-Fi at Maverick Center. That is the worst part. Um, you know, uh, so Utah, when BYU is ranked 19 going into this meet in Utah State. Southern Utah was 25. Utah was four, of course. Um, overall, it was a pretty, pretty good meet. It's a good building block me is what I'm going to call this. Um, you had some issues. You had Abby Paulson fall off beam in a very uncharacteristic, like she like slipped somehow and landed on her butt on the beam. So it wasn't a complete fall, but it was still a fall in like the scoring category. Um, that happened. That was like an off thing for her. You had uh, Lucy Stanhope step out of bounds on floor, which is something you usually don't see. Um, Grace McCallum, the Olympian, uh, f fell off the bars. And I use the word fell off the bars very loosely because what happened is she was doing her transition from her high bar to her low bar. She lost momentum and she just kind of hung on that low bar and she just kind of like hopped off. So she didn't fall as much as she was like, I can't keep spinning. She kind of um, aborted mission. Yeah, she was like, canceled, no. Canceled the mission. She's, she's like, I can't do this. So that's something you wouldn't expect from her. But I think the biggest thing that was was kind of not it was concerning was the injury that Kara Aker sustained um during vaults so during what so in gymnastics they do this thing called the one touch warm-up which is you get a three minute I think period before your rotation starts to do warm-ups on the event um and somehow I blinked and all I heard was I Josh Furlong was sitting next to me, our buddy. And all I hear was, oh, my God, like, is Kara OK? And I turned and I said, what? So Kara was running down the runway. She hit the springboard and then her hand slipped on the table. She hit her head on the table, like on the vaulting table and then landed on the ground. So everyone was assuming that it was like a concussion. Um, it was later revealed that it was an ankle injury for Kara, but it was honestly a very scary moment because you see Tom Farden and head coach Tom Farden and vault coach Jimmy Pratt just running around trying to like, she was the last one touch warm up. So Tom was sprinting down to the judges to do a last minute substitution to make sure that they had six girls run on vault and throw their vaults. Um, she was helped off the, like, she was able to walk under her own power off, like, the mat and stuff, but her night got cut short. So she was supposed to go in three events. She go, she went on beam and floor, but vault was supposed to be her last event, and she didn't get to compete. But major props to Jillian Hoffman, who got thrown into that vault lineup at the last moment. She throws a 9.95 value vault, and she scored a... 9.8 in her first ever scored vault at Utah. She has been up and down with injuries for her last, like ever since she joined the program. 
And so for her to get thrown into that situation and score a 9-8 after not having a one-touch warm-up, not expecting to go at all, was very impressive. And it shows, again, the depth of this Utah gymnastics team. Uh, that's something you've been talking about for a long time. Uh, this was, if I'm not mistaken, their highest score posted at a Best of Utah event, was it not? Um, I think so. Yeah. Not, let me let me let me do some research real fast. One of us is 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 not a gymnastics expert, and so you wouldn't expect me to know, um, you know what what's actually going on with that kind of thing, and understandably so. Um, but that having said that, um. This team, I think, is already playing with the expectation that they should be a national championship contender. Would you concur? Yes, I would. And I just did a quick uh, quick Google and uh, correct the mundo on the highest score in Best of Utah history. Well, well Goofy Bear finds Honeypot in that. <laughs> it was a, so Utah scored a 197-1, which is a very good building score. Um, but this team does have the potential to, to win it all. Um, they have depth. And Tom talked about this post-meet um, when someone brought up Jillian and how like she performed in that instance. He said that he loves to prepare his team in chaos. So like during practice and stuff, like during their like practice meets and stuff like that, he will call something out like, like oh, Crystal just fell off the bar and she hurt her wrist. So some... Uh, uh, Emily, you're in the lineup now. Go without like any warning. He says, and if he said, if the team trains in chaos, chaos won't scare them, which is something that I don't think a lot of gymnastics coaches preach to their girls and to their team because you'll see girls and teams where someone gets hurt and then the rest of the the rest of the like the lineup or the the meat just goes off the rails so fast because some of these teams, especially if it's your heavy hitter and they go down. You're like, well, what are we supposed to do now? But Utah has so many heavy hitters and so much backup to the heavy hitters that that shouldn't be an issue. But Utah's biggest test is going to be of this very young season. Week two is actually on Friday at the Huntsman Center. Um, number two, Oklahoma rolls into town to take on number three, Utah, turning into a Western here. Um but it's going to be a good meet. Y'all better saddle up and ride on up to the Huntsman Center to watch these red rocks rise over the Boomer Sooners. Yes. Yes, that. Um, yes. This is the second meet of a home and home with Oklahoma, which, you know, is very, very, very good for these. Both of these programs are both very prestigious programs. And to have them have a, a regular season meet, but also a regular season meet early in the season is very good because Utah is going to get tested very quickly. But on the other side, Oklahoma is going to get tested quickly because I watched the Oklahoma meet. Oklahoma, uh, Alabama was on Sunday. Um, I watched that meet and Oklahoma. So Utah was underscored vastly at best of Utah. Oklahoma was overscored versus Alabama on a couple of instances. Um, they scored two tens on vault which were the first tens of the season in week one. One of them fully deserved the 10, I will say that. But the other one, if you go back and watch the watch the film, uh, she took a step on her landing, but the judges, I think, were like, oh my God, it's Oklahoma, and decided to give her a 10. So I think this me is going to be either um, wildly overscored for both teams or wildly overscored for one side. 
Does gymnastics have the same kind of uh, weird circumstances like some of the other college sports where uh, early season stuff is just way overvalued? No, it's actually the opposite because team scores usually increase as the season goes on because you find lineups that work, you tweak out your last, your little like things that you didn't foresee happening during like preseason. Um, like let's say like it's like stuck landings on dismounts. You didn't see that. Like everyone's sticking their landings in practice, but when you get on meet time, no one sticks anything and there's points out the door. Um, you know how, remember I talked about regional qualifying score a few weeks ago with gymnastics, majority of scores that are dropped are from the first half of the season because of how low they are Mm. because judges are getting back into the swing of things. Girls are getting back into the swing of things and this meet might determine who two of the four teams who are in the final four meet what at national championships but at the same time it it also might mean nothing because utah lost oklahoma in week three i think last season and then they both made it to the final four so literally it doesn't really mean anything doesn't doesn't mean jack yeah and as long as as long as neither sco- team scores a one ninety, if if one team scores a one ninety eight this week, then like, fantastic, that's fine and dandy. But you don't want to peak too early in gymnastics. That's what I'm gonna say. Because like with football, for instance, you could win every single game and then lose in the national championship, and you're done. You need to consistently grow week to week to week to week to week in, in gymnastics, like. In football, you could win one game in week eight, like weeks like 12, like nine to six. And that's not going to affect how you play or how you're ranked. Well, it could defend how you're ranked. But honestly, early season meets don't pull that much weight, but they still are important because you get your footing underneath you, you get more practice, and you can really start to hone in on what is going to work for your team since there is no defense in gymnastics. Hmm. Gymnastics is, I don't know that I'm ever going to really fully understand it, but I am very fascinated by uh, how non-traditional it is to compare to the sports that I've, I've watched in the past. It's honestly, gymnastics is one of the most like fun event, like sports I've, I watch like, I still remember, like, when I worked for the Chronicle, um, the first year I covered Utah Gymnastics, I was at the dump key for practice. And then head coach Megan Marsden walked up to me after I interviewed her, and she's like, did you do gymnastics when you were younger? You're built like a gymnast. And I was like, Uh, no. I was like, I played soccer. (laughs) I was like, just because I'm 5'2", like, doesn't mean that I did gymnastics. I mean, I wish I would have done gymnastics, but... I would have melted on the spot. I've been like, I would love to do gymnastics with you, man. <laughs> I mean, we got to the point where right before the season she retired, I was like up at her office, like just just chatting, just chatting with Megan, talking talking about the fam, but just talking sports. Just talk, just two gals, just going <laughs> at it. <laughs> oh my gosh! I oh, but yeah. Um, so, bottom line, I think we're going to have more on, on this match and preview with somebody who actually understands gymnastics. I'm not going to tease who it is, but I think 
I'm excited for what's going to happen this week. Uh, Sammy and I have some plans. We actually have some more plans that we'll talk about down the road. I think everybody will be really thrilled about it, too. Um, but for now, let's call it a night, Sammy. Um, I'm still at work, and it's late, and, and Sammy is doing her best weekend impression, uh, which means it's time to, time to stop this thing. No, we call do it. It's bad. Past five. It is half past eight at it this is, point yeah, in time, so was, we're even later just, than that. I was just singing a weekend song for you. Thank you, and it was lovely. Uh, it's nice to be. It's nice to not be the only one that serenades people on this podcast. So that, like, ah, I love it. Um, it's, a, it's song time with us. Like whenever we, uh, we always sing at least one song an episode. Danger, danger, danger. With it, when uh, when it comes down to that, um, Sammy, thank you as always for joining me today. You are the best. Um, where can folks find you, and what do you have coming up? Find me on Twitter at S underscore Mora 99. You can find my writings at UteZone.com. Um, this week, I will be at the Red Rocks meet covering Utah, Oklahoma. There should be a live updating thread from me and Michelle Bodkin. I will be giving a lot of the X's and O's. She will be giving the scores. Um, I have some other articles that I'm working on. May, some gymnastics focused and one football focused. Um, but check them out. If you have questions about gymnastics, hit me up on Twitter. I'll answer, usually. Um, but thanks for having me, Brian. I like talking with you. Always, Sammy. It's a it's a joy and a pleasure, and I really appreciate you uh, jumping in and, and you know, uh, helping me save my voice for the next episode. I got um, you. Yeah, always, always. Uh, that's it for today's episode. As always, thank you to Sammy Moore for joining me. Thank you to everyone for listening, uh, for following us on whatever your favorite uh, podcast platform is, for following us on Twitter, at Locked on Nudes. Um, I'm probably missing. I'm so out of practice now. Uh, who knows if I'll ever get back to, to being who I once was in 2021. Um that being said, uh, you're all making this your first listen. Be sure to make Locked On Bets your second listen as your boy Q and Lee Sterling have all the money-making tips, odds, and expert analysis and insight. It's free and available on all platforms. We are going to wrap this up. This has been the Locked On News podcast for January 11th slash 12th, uh, 2022. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Bye. Bye.